Good morning. I hope all is well. I hope everyone is doing well and staying healthy. Um, please pay attention to your email to the to the Facebook group as uh, we move forward for announcements regarding meeting again. And we look forward to the time when we can come together as we have this plan from our governor and our president to begin moving forward. As always, please uh, email or call with any prayer requests or any needs that you have and let us know how we can help you. If you need assistance with groceries, with picking up groceries, uh, with running errands, however we can help, we'll find a way to do that. Our call to worship today comes from the book of Psalms. It comes from Psalm 118, verses 19 through 24. As we gather together, hear the word of the Lord. Open for me the gates of righteousness. I will enter and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of of the Lord through which the righteous may enter. I will give you thanks for you answered me. You have become my salvation. The stone the builders rejected has become the capstone or the cornerstone. The Lord has done this and it is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Let us pray. Our God and Father above, we do thank you that you have provided for us salvation. And that salvation is the gateway through which we may enter your presence. Lord, remind us that we have entered this place today, whether we are in the sanctuary or whether we have gathered electronically, we have gathered to worship you. Help us to give thanks to you for our salvation. Help us to rejoice and be glad in the day that you have made. Lord, as we worship, we are reminded that our prayers are part of our worship. And so we pray as you have taught us. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. It is good for us to read the words of God. It is good for us to sing them as well. So if you have a hymn book, please turn to hymn number 69. This is the day the Lord hath made. All days, even days where life is difficult, are days that God has made. And so we should rejoice. We should give thanks to him. So if you're able and willing, please stand and let us sing. This is the day the Lord hath made.
be seated. Our confession today comes from the book Prone to Wander. Redeeming God, we thank you for making us capable of knowing you and for awakening our souls to desire you. Help us to approach you with reverence and awe, not with presumption or servile fear, but with holy boldness and joyful expectation. We confess to you today that we are prone to love our own wisdom better than yours. In our weakness, we forget to think of you, to ask you for help, or to remember how foolish we are. In our pride and rebellion, we spurn your wise commandments and instruction. We confess to you that we find it difficult to trust you, and we fear you in all the wrong ways. You have punished your precious son in our place and given us spiritual riches beyond imagination. Yet we often live as though you love us and bless us when we are good and as though you are angry and punish us when we sin. Father, help us to believe that there is no wrath left for us because you have poured it all out on Christ in our place. O God, melt our hearts. Give us greater faith to believe that Christ has made an end to all our sin, past, present, and future. In our greatest moments of fear and pride, show us our sin and give us sweet repentance. Open our eyes to see our wonderful Savior and fly to him for refuge. Fill us with vibrant gratitude for your Son, who has trusted you fully in our place and worshiped you with perfect reverence. He committed himself to your will, even when you did not let the cup of your wrath pass him by. He did not lean on his own understanding, but trusted in your wisdom and goodness, even as it led him to the cross. Now his faithfulness has become ours and his righteousness our own. How can we ever thank you? Holy Spirit, remind us often of our weakness until we learn to run to you quickly for grace in our times of need. Humble us and show us the foolishness of our best thoughts, so that we will trust you instead of ourselves. Give us strong desires to love and obey you, and strength to walk in growing obedience. Replace our guilty fear with joyful, awestruck wonder, until the good works to which you have called us begin to flow from transformed hearts. Amen. Hear these words of assurance. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Our scripture reading today comes from the book of Exodus. Exodus chapter 22, verses 25 through 27. Hear these words of God. If you lend money to one of my people among you who is needy, do not be like a moneylender. Charge him no interest. If you take your neighbor's cloak as a pledge, return it to him by sunset, because his cloak is the only covering he has for his body. What else will he sleep in? When he cries out to me, I will hear, for I am compassionate. The grasses wither, the flowers fail, but the word of our Lord stands forever. Forever. 
As I mentioned last week, I'd like to say thank you to those who have continued to support the church through their tithes and offerings, and to remind you that um, you can still have opportunity to mail those in. Um, if you are listening to us from another church, please remember your church and the law, the the bills that they have to pay. And so, please take a few moments to consider what God has given to you and how you may return a portion to Him. As we think about God and what he has given to us, we are reminded that he is our help and he has been the help for his people from ages past. So we have opportunity to sing and to praise him for that help that he has given. So please turn to him 111. O God, our help in ages past based upon Psalm 90 and let us lift our words to him in praise. the time now is the opportunity for us to approach God's throne in prayer please uh, once again remember our shut-ins I think many of us have learned lately what it feels like to be a shut-in to be unable to go out and to visit so please remember them and pray for them lift them up seek God's comfort for them seek that God through his Holy Spirit find ways to remind him that he is with them that he is there giving them peace Remember those who are sick, remember those who are ill, uh, not just with the COVID-19 coronavirus, but uh, with the things that happen daily that we forget about sometimes in the midst of a pandemic, in the midst of a difficulty. Lift up our leaders, our church leaders, 
Lift up our local government leaders. Lift up our state and federal government leaders as uh, they um, deliberate over guidance to give us as we seek to gather again. Please pray for our Christian Education Ministries Board as they will be uh, have already uh, have already met and will soon be making decisions regarding camps and conferences this summer. And so please pray for them to give them wisdom for that. So let us approach God's throne. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. To the great God and Father above, you are the God who reigns upon your throne in heaven. We live in what seems to us to be very chaotic times. We are reminded in this time of pandemic of how little control we have. And Lord, I think you have taken this time maybe to abolish that idol for many of us. Many of us idolize the control that we think we have over our lives. And yet our lives have been brought to a screeching halt by a microscopic virus. Lord, we expect life to be brought to a screeching halt by big events. But we never, most of us never consider a microscopic organism bringing our facade, our our illusion of control crashing down among us and around us. Forgive us for idolizing control. Forgive us for thinking that we are sovereign over at least our own little sphere of life. Although many of us think we're sovereign over all things. We have sought to take the reins from you and sovereignly control our lives and the lives of the people around us. Thank you for reminding us that we are not in control. Thank you for giving us opportunity to repent of that idolatry. And thank you that as bad as this is, it could have been far worse. Were you not still in control? Lord, remind us of the peace that should come to us because of your sovereignty. Remind us of the rest that we should find because not a raindrop falls except you ordain where it lands. Not a bird falls in the flight but that you ordain the beating of its wings and the faltering of its flight. How much more do you care about and control and have in your hand your sheep whom you have promised to be shepherd over? Lord, we know that no matter what happens to us, it does not take you by surprise. Whether pestilence, whether accident, whether joy, or success, you have those things in your hands. You are in control and you are working them out for our good and for your glory, which is our greatest good. Your glory is our greatest good. And so, Lord, help us to rest. Help us to lament well the things that come into our lives that bring us sadness. Lament in such a way that we come to you in trust and in faith Bringing our fears, bringing our sadnesses, bringing our concerns 
bringing our difficulties to you. Honestly, bringing our feelings about those things to you and leaving them with you in trust. So that we might have paths that are smooth. That are straight and that lead us to you. Lord, we lift up today our government officials as they have had a burden placed upon them in guiding many times with incomplete information, seeking to guide this country, this state, this county. So, Lord, give them wisdom to lead in ways that bring us peace. Give us the ability to respect them and pray for them as you have commanded us. Whether we agree with their policies, you have commanded us to respect and to pray for them, to obey them even in areas where they do not violate your law. Lord, help us to lift them up in respectful prayer. Help us to listen to them and give them wisdom. Lord, we pray for the Christian Education Ministries Board as they deliberate over Camp Joy, as they deliberate over Horizon and Quest, as they deliberate over Appalachia, as they deliberate over the Family Bible Conference. Lord, give them wisdom moving forward to be able to possibly offer these things maybe in ways that are not typical of the way they they offer them uh, uh, every summer, but also help them to take the information they have, as I mentioned before, sometimes incomplete, and make wise decisions. Lord, give us rest and peace in the midst of our uh, quarantine, so to speak. Help us to... Um, Honor you. Help us to search our lives so that we might repent of sin. Help us to seek your face in this difficult time. Be with the leaders of this church as we make decisions to regather for worship, to celebrate the sacraments, um, to do Sunday school and Bible studies. Give us wisdom as we uh, seek those things. Lord, you are God of truth. You are a God of peace. You are a God of mercy. Help us to find peace in your word. Help us to find peace resting in you. And help us to seek you above all things. We pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Our declaration of truth today comes from the Westminster Larger Catechism. It's a question. It's question 141. And the question is, what does the Eighth Commandment require? Remember, the Eighth Commandment is, uh, thou shalt not steal. So the question is, what does the Eighth Commandment require? The Eighth Commandment requires us to act truthfully, faithfully, and justly in our contractual and business relationships with our fellow human beings, so that we give to all what they deserve. We are to make restitution for anything we have unlawfully acquired from its rightful owner. We should give and lend freely according to our ability and the needs of others. We must moderate our judgment, will, and inclinations about worldly goods. We must exercise prudence in the acquisition, maintenance, use, 
and disposition of all the things that we need and are appropriate to sustain us humanly and that match our condition in life. We should find something lawful to do in life and work hard at it. We should be frugal and we should avoid unnecessary lawsuits and should not become liable by putting up security for others or by similar commitments. Finally, we must do our best by all just and lawful means to acquire, preserve, and increase our own and others' money and possessions. Please turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Proverbs. We are in Proverbs chapter 6. Proverbs chapter 6 is part of a larger uh, discourse by the Father. Actually, it's part of a larger collection of discourses by the Father uh, in chapter 5, chapter 6, and chapter 7. Uh, we'll touch on in a few moments how it, it seems to break up a pattern of Solomon dealing with sexual sin, and yet it fits very well within that section. And so listen as we read from Proverbs chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. My son, if you have put up security for your neighbor, if you have struck pledge, if struck hands in pledge for another, if you have been trapped by what you said, ensnared by the words of your mouth, then do this, my son, to free yourself, since you have fallen into your neighbor's hands. Go and humble yourself. Press your plea with your neighbor. Allow no sleep to your eyes, no slumber to your eyelids. Free yourself like a gazelle from the hand of the hunter, like a bird from the snare of the fowler. Let us pray. Our God and Father above, we do thank you for this word. We thank you for the possessions that you have given to us. We thank you for the means by which you have given to us to gain those possessions. Help us to use them wisely. Help us to use our money wisely. And help us to guard our future. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Solomon is going to take a 19-verse break from dealing with adultery and sexual temptation to deal with three types of folly that really kind of seem to us to be unrelated as we read chapters 5 through 7, but we're going to find out that they are related. He's first going to deal with some foolish borrowing practices, which is what we are going to look at today. Uh, in the next section of uh, 6, 1 through 19, he's going to deal with foolish work practices, or actually he's going to deal with laziness and the lack of work practices. And then he's going to deal with uh, uh, just a really horrible and corrupt person, somebody who is crooked and corrupt in everything they do, the words they speak, the looks they give, the paths they walk, the deeds they do. And then he'll wrap up these 19 verses with seven practices that God considers to be an abomination, although they do differ, at least a few of them differ from what we consider to be the seven deadly sins that we associate with Proverbs. And scripture, and we're going to take at least three uh, weeks to look through these sections. Now, we're inclined to view these 19 verses as an interruption of the flow of Solomon's thought on sexual sin. And I have to admit, as I was looking through this, as I was studying, as I was preparing over the last several months for the book of Proverbs 
I kind of looked at these 19 verses because they do drop right into the middle of chapter 5, which deals with sexual sin, the rest of chapter 6 and all of chapter 7, which deals with sexual sin. And it's like, okay, why did this get dropped in the middle of this section? It just seems unrelated. And yet it is related. There are indications that this is a carefully crafted section of Scripture. The first indication, and I think the biggest indication is that Proverbs 5 and verses 1 through 19 of chapter 6 both end with a reminder that God judges sin. Chapter 5, verse 21 through 23, reminded us that God examines all the actions of mankind and will judge them against His holy law. And verses, verse 19 is the end of a section uh, beginning in verse 16, reminding us that the Lord hates sins. The Lord hates those who rebel against him. The second thing that shows us that this is linked is um, that both sexual sin and the folly of foolishly placing yourself as security for someone else's loan are both described as snares and traps in this. Thirdly, all of these things will adversely affect our future. We saw as we consider chapter 5, verses 1 through 23, that sexual sin leads to regret and remorse. For some, it also leads to repentance. And setting ourselves up as unwise surety will lead us to financial ruin, as well as will the sloth and laziness described in the next section will lead to both short-term and long-term financial ruin. And of course, being the scoundrel of verses 12 through 19 will lead to disaster as well. These sections are part of a whole, a teaching that is concerned with the future well-being of the Son and ultimately our future well-being also as it comes to us as inspired Scripture that is profitable for all that we need to be made complete or mature before God. Today we are going to consider, we are going to look at Solomon's call against unwise surety or placing ourselves as security for bad loans or debts. And as we study the five verses that we have read, we will look at lending practices in Israel. We will look at the call against unwise surety. If you're following along at home, surety is spelled S-U-R-E-T-Y. And also we will look at how to protect your future. First, lending practices in Israel. I'm going to take a, a, just a brief few moments here to touch on the lending practices in Israel and the ancient Near East. It's going to have to be brief because we just don't have a whole lot of information. We have the passage which we read earlier from Exodus uh, 22, 25 through 27. We have two passages in Deuteronomy 24, verse 6. In verse 13, which are which give us God's law surrounding uh, debt and lending practices. And then in Job 22, 22, 6, excuse me, in Job 24, 3 and 9 and in Amos 2, 8, we have God's judgment against unjust lending practices. From what we can learn from the Old Testament we see that lending in Israel was typically to be something like a family member loaning another family member some money. 
for your fellow Israelites, lending was seen as a means to help the unfortunate or the poor get back on their feet. You could loan money to another person, but if they were a member of the nation of Israel, you were not allowed to charge interest. If they were an alien or a foreigner, you could charge interest, but only in small amounts. What we know of as predatory lending, predatory interest rates, high interest rates were seen by God as unjust. They were seen as taking advantage of the widow and orphan to enrich yourself. Even in our culture today, it seems like the poor are the ones who end up with the high interest loans that oftentimes just keep them in the cycle of poverty. And yes, we're going to talk about as we move on that there is personal responsibility when it comes to borrowing and it becomes to lending. But at the same time, it seems that these predatory interest rates are targeted at those who can least afford them. In Israel, there was a Sabbath system where most loans would be forgiven every seven or 49 years. So that meant that the amount that you could borrow was limited by the amount of time left until the next forgiveness period. Many times what you could borrow was dependent upon the yield that you expected from your crops or from your livestock multiplied by the number of years until the next Sabbath forgiveness year. If you were a lender, yes, you could take collateral or security for your loan. But if the person was extremely poor, you could not choose the security or collateral. And if they gave you something that was important for their livelihood, it had to be returned for them by sundown. In Exodus, we saw the example of a cloak used, a cloak that was potentially the only thing to keep somebody warm in the cold. And so that had to be given back to them overnight so that they could sleep and be refreshed to begin work tomorrow to pay you back. Lending in Israel was more a means for the one who borrowed money to reestablish their financial security than it was a means for the lender to make a living. When Michelle and I were looking to buy our first home, I worked for a man who in many ways showed God's love and God's mercy to his employees. He was involved in the lives of his employees, even to the fact that we trusted him to come to him oftentimes with our our concerns and our cares. I never asked him for financial help, uh, number one, because oftentimes I didn't need it. And number two, because many of his employees did ask him for financial help and oftentimes they abused it. And yet he kept lending. However, he came to me when he found out Michelle and I were looking to buy a home and he offered to give us a loan a no interest loan that would help us eliminate some of our debt put us in a better financial category to qualify for a mortgage now he could have invested that money he could have made far more with that money in even a savings account at the time than he ever received back from us he received all his money back from us But he did it in such a way to help us find a firm foundation, a firm financial foundation. And that is what lending was supposed to look like in ancient Israel. It was a means by which those who could not provide for themselves may have a 
opportunity to get back on their financial feet, to get back in a place where they could provide for themselves and for their family. That's what lending practices were supposed to look like in Israel. Now, this passage deals with part of those lending practices called surety or security. It deals with the collateral. And in fact, it deals like deals with unwise surety, unwise security. As the nation of Israel grew, as the ancient Near East grew, lending practices probably changed. Um, They were designed to change within the confines of the law. But more than likely, as most of us do, they ignored God's law in some areas and uh, collateral became a bigger part of this. And one of the things that you could give as collateral was yourself or I could make myself collateral for somebody else's loan. I could make myself surety. I could guarantee that loan. We we still do this today. I remember my father That first car loan that I got when I was around 20 years old, my father co-signed for that car loan. He put his credit on the line for the loan that I had for my car. It's not always bad to do to be surety or security. But the father warns the son about making himself security for someone else's loan in an unwise manner. In the original language of verse one, the the word neighbor and another are in parallel. And if you look at other translations, you'll see that instead of another, they translate that word stranger because it is the same root that we get the strange uh, woman or the adulterous woman from in the previous chapter. And in chapter two, it's the same word in other places in Proverbs that is translated stranger. And the idea may be here. A broad view of neighbor in that the father is warning the son against making himself security or surety for a stranger. In the movie, we we get the sense here or the picture that the son making himself security for a stranger or security for someone who may be in a bad lending situation. As I studied this, I thought of that that trope or storyline in a movie where the friend comes to his rich friend. He's all excited about this really, I'm sorry, stupid business idea that he has. And he convinces the friend to 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 buy into this really stupid business idea and everybody loses everything. That's the picture that we have here. Solomon is imploring his son to avoid placing himself in a position where his financial future is in the hands of another. Solomon goes so far as to say that if you place yourself in a position of being security, surety, collateral for a bad lending, you're just like the gazelle or the bird that has been caught in a hunter's snare or in a trap. Verses two and five have these parallel words of being trapped, being ensnared by the hand of the hunter or the snare of the fowler to describe the perilous position that you could find yourself in if you make yourself security for a bad loan. Who would the son be trapped by? Who would be trapped by one of two people? First, you are trapped by the one who receives the loan. You are trapped by the debtor. You are totally at that person's mercy. 
You have no control over whether he has the willingness or the means to pay back that loan. My dad took a risk in co-signing for my car. Maybe the person you that the Solomon's son that Solomon's son puts himself up as security will have a bad year for his crops. Maybe he has borrowed money with no intention of ever paying it back and you are at the mercy of the person who receives the loan. Secondly, the son could be trapped by the lender. If the other person defaults on his loan, you have committed yourself, you have committed your money, you have potentially committed your freedom, Solomon says to his son, to this person who has loaned the money. You literally belong to the lender. But what was it that trapped the son? Verse 2 tells us, verse 2 says, if you have been trapped by what you said, ensnared by the words of your mouth, just like Solomon warns in chapter 5, make sure there is wisdom on your lips to protect you from the words of the adulterous woman. Make sure there is wisdom on your lips and not folly when it comes to placing yourself as security for another. Our mouths get us in trouble. James says, James has a whole section in his letter on the danger of the tongue. The danger of the words that we use. And Solomon says here, make sure you have wise words when it comes to debt and security for that debt so that you do not fall into the hands of another. Brothers and sisters, our words put us into debt. Our sinful words put us into debt with God. And that debt we cannot pay. That debt we automatically default on because the payment is beyond us. There is nothing we can do to make up that debt before God. We are like the servant who went to the king asking for the king to pay off his trillion dollar loan, his trillion dollar debt, because there was no way that he could pay it back. And the king forgave the debt, at least that was until he was unwilling to forgive a much smaller debt, a five dollar debt. And the, the king was able to forgive the loan. Our king, our creator is able to forgive our debt. Because his son was willing to pay the price for us to have forgiveness. Now, why would the son be tempted to set himself up as security for another person's loan? One one temptation may have been what Bruce Waltke calls impulsive benevolence. We read from the larger confession on thou shalt not steal. And it says one of the applications of that is that we should be willing to help other people when they are in need. But we shouldn't do that unwisely. We should not do that impulsively. We need to be wise in how we help other people. And maybe the son would have been tempted by somebody who came to him and said, look, I, I just need a little bit of money to get myself back on my feet. Would you just be willing to stand in for me? So that this other person would give me a loan. Would you be my security for my loan? The son may have been tempted impulsively to be a good person and to help him out. 
We see this happen to the Israelites in Joshua 9. The Gibeonites come to the Israelites. They have dressed themselves in travel-worn clothes. They have carried rotten food with them to make it look like that they have traveled for weeks and for months, when in reality, they just came from the other side of town. And they didn't pray. They didn't investigate. And they found themselves having made a bad covenant out of impulsive benevolence. On the flip side of the coin, the son may be driven by pride. You know, there's something pride inducing to be asked to back someone's loan. There may be bragging rights, or at least the son might think there are bragging rights to be able to say that we are rich enough or important enough to be security for somebody else's loan. Just think how much wealth I must have if so-and-so wants me to co-sign for their loan. I don't want to tell you how good my credit score is, but you know what? Somebody asked me to co-sign for their car. The son may be driven by greed. Maybe there would be a kickback. Maybe there would be money once this loan was repaid off. We could speculate on a lot of reasons as to this, but we really don't have to speculate that far. Ask yourself, why would you be willing to be security for a foolish loan? Or rather, why would you endanger your financial security by going into foolish debt? Many of the commentators and even the author of the Westminster Larger Catechism, as it references this particular passage in the question that we read earlier, expand the realm of this, not just to be just a call against being foolish security, but a call against foolish debt. Whether it's our own or whether it's somebody else's. How many of us are tempted to go into debt for foolish reasons? Maybe we charge a luxury on a credit card when we know we can't really afford it. Maybe we finance more car than we really need or more home than we really need. Why do we do it? Brothers and sisters, typically you and I are tempted to bad debt for pride or greed, or vanity. Of course I need to put that on my credit card because I don't need people to think I'm in trouble. Of course I need to finance more car than I need because people need to see me riding the sweet ride. Of course I need to mortgage more house than I can afford because you know the Joneses got a big house and I need one that's just a little bit bigger. We want to keep up with the Joneses. We want to look important. We want to look rich. We want to look fabulous. But in taking on foolish, unnecessary debt, we imperil our future, our financial future. I remember being in a college freshman Many of you can relate to being 18 or 19 years old and getting that first credit card in the mail. They didn't even bother to make me apply. They sent me the credit card. I put dinners on the card to impress a date. I put clothes on the card to impress my friends. I bought really stupid stuff on the credit card because I wanted other people to think more highly of me. Many of you are knowingly shaking your head right now. But what do you borrow money for so that you can show your pride, your vanity, and your greed? 
Not all debt is bad. Not all co-signing for loans is bad. But do we do those things on impulse or we do it wisely? Do we borrow to live above our means? Don't take on debts, yours or someone else's, that you can't pay back. Young people, I cannot impress this enough upon you. You can ruin the rest of your life by bad financial, bad debt decisions. You are better off not taking that credit card. You are better off not buying the expensive car. You're better off not taking on foolish debt. So we've seen lending practices in ancient Israel. We have seen Solomon's call against unwise surety, against unwise debt. And now we see Solomon's call to protect his future. After the father calls, after Solomon calls the son against unwise debt, he gives him a means to get out of it. If he makes those bad decisions, he calls twice in this passage for the son to free himself or to deliver himself. And he gives it in very strong language. We see the strong language in the fact that he gives seven short commands. As the means to escape the trap he has found himself in, the first short command is go. If a person, if a company has a hold on you, whether you have put yourself up as foolish security or whether you have found yourself in foolish debt, do something about it. Don't just wait. Go. The next thing Solomon says to the son is humble yourself. And this is a very strong word for humbling here. It means to crush yourself. It means to demean yourself, to make yourself lower than low before this person. You have nothing to lose when it comes to unwise debt. You can either humble yourself or you can be humiliated when the creditor comes calling. Next, Solomon says, press your plea. And the idea here is to harass persistently. You have gone to the person, you have humbled yourself, and you are going to persistently beg to get out of this. Make yourself a pest in your quest to remove yourself from this future threatening situation. In fact, this is so important that Solomon says to allow no sleep to come to your eyes. Allow no slumber to your eyelids as you go about this. We're going to see these two words used again, sleep and slumber, in the next section on the sluggard. And the idea is that sleep and slumber, when you are in dire financial straits, when you are in dire financial danger, sleep and slumber bring ruin. Don't think on it. If you're going to pray on it, do it while you're going and definitely don't sleep on it. Go take care of it right now. To paraphrase Red from the Shawshank Redemption, you can get busy begging or you can get busy going broke. I mentioned earlier that credit card I received when I, I was a college freshman. I also remember the phone calls that started coming when I got behind on that credit card. 
I was horrified when I got home one day. Not horrified enough, you'll see in just a few minutes. But I was horrified one day when I came home and my mom asked me about the phone call she answered. Asking about the debt on my credit card. Mom and dad sat me down later that night and they gave me a plan of action. They said, without delay, cut up the credit card. Didn't do it. Without delay, call the company and cancel the card. Not that either. Without delay, I was to call the company and set up a payment plan that I could handle. Didn't do that either. In fact, I was so smart, I went to the credit union I was a member of and got a signature loan from them so that I could then catch up on the credit card. They probably should have done their homework a little better. But this is my folly, not theirs. Many times when we find ourselves in future threatening debt, we just ignore it and hope it goes away. Or we put ourselves into worse debt to try and solve the problem. But either ignoring it or adding debt on top of debt only makes things worse. When we find ourselves needing to solve a problem of debt, we need to swallow our pride and plead for mercy from our creditors. You know, many of them will work with you. I found that out once I finally uh, found enough motivation to get my finances in order. Thank you, Michelle. Once I started making the calls, once I started humbling myself, you know what? They were more than willing to work with me if it meant they didn't have to go through the process and the pain and the spending the money of sending me to collections. Most of them will have some grace if you show a willingness to work with them, if you show a willingness to get current on your debt and get into a payment plan. Brothers and sisters, protect your future. If you find yourself in debt, find a way to get out of it. Make a plan. Communicate that plan to your creditors. If you found yourself co-signing for a foolish loan, By the way, I did pay off my car payment on time. That was one thing I kept up well to protect my parents, to protect their credit. I didn't care a whit, apparently, for my own, but I was willing to care for theirs. But if you find yourself in a bad place, find a way to get out of it. If you have co-signed for a loan that you know you shouldn't have to co should should not have co-signed for, get out of it. Protect your future. So we've seen lending practices in Israel. We've seen Solomon's call to avoid unwise surety, unwise debt. And we've seen Solomon's call to protect the financial future of the son and and his call upon us as well to protect our own future. Now, not all not all debt is unwise. We we live in a different culture there. We have the rules which gives us which give us the 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 fence, the hedge around debt. And so we should enter debt in wise ways. Now, for almost every one of us, mortgages are really the only means that we have to buy homes today. And they're not necessarily bad things to get into. Adjustable rate mortgages with high balloon payments after a certain amount of time are not wise options if you're planning on being Living in the house are probably not even wise options if you're planning on buying rental property. 
Car loans are a reality that many of us have to enter into. But I remember my first car loan was four years. They're double that now. Seven, eight year car loans. You may be wiser to to either save up and buy a new a used car, put a large enough down payment on a car so that you can only finance it for four years tops. But make wise car loan decisions. And I'm trying to be sensitive. It's it's hard to be sensitive if, if I can't see you, if I can't look in your eyes and I don't know that I'm causing you discomfort and offer comfort to you. If you find yourself in these positions, it is not the end of the world. Please understand that. I'm not trying to bring condemnation to you. I'm just trying to to maybe wake you up as I was awakened 25 years ago, 26 years ago now, excuse me, to the reality of how badly unwise debt can affect you. And being security for someone isn't always unwise. It worked out okay for mom and dad when they co-signed for my car. At least I think it did. Mom's not said too much to me in the last, how old am I now? 31 years. Get some good financial help if you find yourself in trouble. And young people, get some good financial training before you get into trouble. Thanks be to God, Michelle and I had the opportunity to get some of that good training before we got married. And for the most part, with a few stumbles here and there, with a few mistakes here and there, with a few decisions of desperation here and there, God has enabled us to be wise in our purchasing and in our debt decisions. But if you find yourself in an unwise place, get out of it soon. Work on it now. Don't wait. And some of you still owe God a sin debt that you cannot repay. Don't wait. Don't delay. Let us pray. Our God and Father above, I do thank you for these words. We oftentimes think, and we need to be forgiven for this, we oftentimes think that you only offer spiritual help in your word. And yet here you are helping us deal with our financial situations. Lord, remind us that you expect us to be wise with the money that you have given to us. With You have made us stewards over what you have given. And please help us to be wise in that. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We do thank God for his wisdom. We do thank God for all that he has given to us. And we praise him that he is a God of wisdom. And we will praise him by singing hymn number 141. Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing Charles Wesley's great hymn where he wasn't asking. You've heard me say this before, but he wasn't asking for a large choir. He was asking literally for a thousand tongues of his own to sing his dear Redeemer's praise. So please take up your hymn book, turn to number 141 and let us join standing to sing. Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing.
this week. Take this blessing with you. Lift up your heads and hear God's blessing. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Come quickly, Lord Jesus.